0: Welcome back. I'm Shane McClelland. I'm Lori Gum. And these are The Q-Files. If you're a listener of this show, chances are you've had a mystical, magical, or a paranormal experience. And if you're anything like us, you find it hard to describe in words. The overwhelming power... such an unusual experience is often processed instead as raw emotion, splintered memory, wonder, confusion, or even horror. How do we convey our own reality to others in truly persuasive and authentic communication? We're not sure, but it has been said that the artist sees what others catch only a glimpse of.
1: With that in mind, for this episode, we have invited our very own Columbus artist Ralph Walters to talk with us about his new, exciting, and unique project entitled Painting the Unexplained. As Keith Haring once said, Drawing is still basically the same as it has been since prehistoric times. It brings together man and the world. It lives through magic.
0: And so... We hoped Ralph might give us some insight as to how he uses the magic of his own art to explain that which we cannot.
1: So we want to welcome uh, Ralph Walters uh, to Q Files uh, this evening. Uh Ralph, Yeah. Hey, we're, we're so happy to have you. Um, so um, we're going to talk more about uh, your uh, multimedia series called Painting the Unexplained as we go along. But. You know, let's start right at the beginning. You were raised in Louisiana uh, in a Southern Baptist tradition. How did this, this culture, um, affect you becoming an artist?
2: Um, I, I don't think it did. I I think that, uh, it affected the things that I would eventually be drawn to, to drawing and painting. But, uh, I actually, uh, and I don't have this. Unfortunately, it was lost when my mom passed away. But uh, when I was two, I started drawing skulls. (laughs) Um, My mom loved old atomic age sci-fi stuff and the old black and white bad horror movies. And there was this one movie called The Skull. And I have not seen this in forever. So I'm about to completely botch the plot. <laughs> but uh, a handful of people wrong someone; they are responsible for their death. Uh, and a year later, somehow the skull gets dug out of the grave, and this thing will just appear in somebody's house and stalk them throughout the house until they have a heart attack or something. Uh, not a it's very golden. good movie, as I recall. But
1: uh, but a golden I was plot. A... I mean, a golden plot, right?
2: Well, oh, yeah. When I was a kid the concept i get two anyway was impressive i don't know if you have to be about 2 to be impressed by the plot but uh so i just drew skulls and if if i did a deviation of that it was uh it was a skull with a spider web because in these horror movies you saw a lot of spider webs on skulls
1: you sure did. so
2: uh i guess strangely enough that terrible movie was a lot was <laughs> was mostly what was responsible for getting me into uh, the weirder the side of stuff. Uh, and isn't it, always, isn't
1: it always funny how, you know, bad art can actually be a huge inspiration? Oh, absolutely. Do you know how many
2: bad movies I own that I, I love? <laughs> I love bad movies. Uh, uh, better than good ones, honestly. They make me yeah. happier in the end.
1: Yeah, yeah you're always <clears throat> smiling during those movies. It's absolutely, absolutely true. So um, you, you say very, very simply, uh, uh, very frankly, that you say you like to paint belief. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that?
2: So this is where that religious upbringing comes in. Um, I, uh, I noticed when I became uh, a young teen that uh, I was, I was always curious. I was curious about everything. Um, the way that I, I got into it, mean, in the middle of the 70s, I'm sure you can imagine that uh, the, the the devil's uh, scare was at its height. Yep. Uh, movies like The Exorcist caused this whole wave of, of uh, Catholic fear, I call it. Because the, even the, the
1: Exorcist warped me forever to this day. When you Mm -hmm. talk about a movie that I'm most frightened of, because Uh, I'm sure I was about your age in the 70s and I saw it. I mean, The Exorcist is to this day way up there. Well, the
2: idea is 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 mind blowing that uh, this little girl who isn't old enough to really do anything wrong just because she was in the wrong place at the wrong time got this like a cold or a flu only it was so much more impactful. It generally killed the host. Um, it, it's such a, the 70s were great for a number of reasons, uh, and that was one of them. Uh, this is when you also, the, I feel like the, the, the fundamentalist faction really kicked in in the 70s with this, too. They really leapt on that, and, and being brought up Southern Baptist, despite the the kind of the crafting of the, the devil scare of the 70s was very Catholic. Uh Southern Baptists latched on to it. Uh, they, it, was a t- it was probably the one time that I'm aware of that their their belief systems were were the closest. Uh because people will gravitate toward popular uh modes of belief. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you started to see exorcisms in Southern Baptist churches because people wanted to see exorcisms. Uh, they wanted to be afraid of them. They wanted to be thrilled by them. So they were incorporated into, into the, uh, into church services, uh, for a lot of non-Catholic religions. The seventies were also a time when paranormal stuff was at its height, uh, for that same reason, because it was it was intrinsically tied into it, the seventies also brought my favorite depiction of of ghosts, which is the idea that if something happens and uh, it's bad enough, or it's or it's good enough uh, that energy is produced by it, and in a weird way records it. So that what we're seeing when we see ghosts are this loop that a certain time of night, uh, uh, you will see this event on a certain on a certain day. And if they don't interact with you, they're not really there. It's it's merely the, the whisper of an event. It's 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 a almost a living memory.
1: Yeah. It's like so, the, the universe recording that that event and replaying it back like, you know, a bad 70s film. You oh yeah know, essentially essentially <laughs> so, so, let's, uh, uh, so so when you talk <laughs> about belief so this obviously um, well, you know let's talk for a moment about your new project your it's a multimedia exploration of the unexplained painting the unexplained you're calling it um, So how does belief um, and, and we saw your the beginning of your trailer today which is fantastic where you very much uh, focus on the sense of belief. So talk about this project and, and, and you know, this, this evolution of you painting belief.
2: Mm. Well, um, the, the point that I terribly veered off of, and I apologize there, was that growing up Southern Baptist and, and buying into it uh, as a kid, totally believed all that stuff. Uh, the older I got, the more questions I asked uh, mm-hmm. and the more curious I was and the more questions I asked, the angrier people got with me. And I, I wasn't really sure why that was. Interesting. Uh, so I, I went to college where uh, to University of New Orleans, uh, big, beautiful library that colleges have. And I would spend all of my spare time in the library. And I figured if nobody can answer those questions, I would look them all up. Uh, and I became an angry atheist. <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> Um, it didn't stop me from being interested in where these beliefs come from and how they changed, and how people changed them to suit their needs or the time that they were in. Yeah. Um, you think about it, there was a there was a time in in biblical times where uh, most of the water, was poisoned it was a bad idea to drink water it didn't matter if you if you found a relatively clean looking spring if the water was toxic mm-hmm. so people drank wine because you could do that and not die from the toxins in the water so when when jesus makes water into wine that's far more impactful than saying just don't drink water it's bad for you mm-hmm. If I tell you not to do something, or if God tells you not to do something, who do you think has the, has the more leeway mm-hmm. right there? So, so that's, that's much of what the Bible is. It's, it's whatever the social mores were at the time. Uh, it's saying, well, if I tell you not to do it, you're not going to care. Uh, but if I tell you God told you not to, you're right. not going to do it.
1: Right. Right right and I find it fascinating that you know to connect all of this up and we'll go through in a minute uh, all of the different episodes that you have planned that are you know based so much in the paranormal and so much uh, uh, about cryptids. Mm-hmm. but you start your trailer I I, I I love this. you start your trailer with the story of Rod Stewart being hospitalized for the pint of semen in his stomach as an example of a belief that has traveled, um oh yeah has, any it has no subs- basis in truth right right right
2: um it was and 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 I feel like uh and I hate to say it but I couldn't think of a better example for some reason when I think of a a a a non truth I will say because it, in in the respect that I brought it up It was it was not just because it was a lie. It was simply because it it wasn't a true thing that this monumental and fast traveling rumor was based on. But when as a kid, I remember that that was a big I don't know why it was a big deal. And I'll tell you,
1: I loved hearing that because, you know, you and I are about the same age. Of Mm. course, I heard that. Uh Of course, (laughs) we talked about that at school. Um, it, It was amazing. So you're right. You have, you know, second and third graders talking about semen. Which is, you know, an odd thing to begin with. I don't think
2: most of us knew what
1: that was. I, that's exactly right. I just pictured little guys on boats, you know?
2: Yes, little navy guys. <laughs> like floating on a crust of bread and screaming for help.
1: The save me from Rod Stewart. That's exactly, exactly. right. That's um, but I love that you started with that because you know, to take that in terms of kind of you know, the issues we deal with, belief in the paranormal and all that, you know, it was it was a great sort of starting point to say, just remember how ridiculous, you know, this untruth was. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but people leapt onto it. They and they had their reasons, uh, as I mentioned In the piece, uh, homophobia is uh, one of the reasons that people wanted to, if anything remotely sounded gay, it was bad. So it it was used as a precautionary tale. It was used by people who hated famous people. Because they were all heathens and sinners, it was it was for people who just hated Rod Stewart that for some reason uh, they could give two shits about Downtown Train and uh, they were, hated the song so much that they were going to spread this. And somebody's like, you know, I, I really like that Maggie May. Well, do you know that he went to the hospital because, but you know, um,
1: and, and that's a particular type of hate, you know, really. <laughs> absolutely,
2: it's just looking for a reason. Um, but, uh, it's the idea that, uh, beliefs are kind of like kids. Um, you, you give birth to that belief. Somebody has to start that belief, but once you create it, once you feed it and nurture it and bring it to a certain age, it has a life of its own and you can't necessarily control what it does. In the case of uh, Rod Stewart's uh, manager, uh, road manager, um, he wanted to hurt Stewart. It was a it was a nasty lie. That uh, well, what happened? And I don't mention it because I didn't want to. I didn't want to get too wordy, and I, I tend to. But he was babysitting um, a child in uh, of of some woman in Stewart's entourage. It was like a family member. They had they fit all the kids in a Stewart's hotel room with this woman, but they they didn't have a place for this little boy to sleep. And uh, so he took the extra bed in uh, in Tony's room, Tony Toon. And Tony picked a guy up and had sex in the room with this little boy in the bed, in the other bed. Wow. And when Stuart found out, that was it. And apparently, this was not the first thing Tony had ever done wrong. It was just the worst thing. It was the biggest lapse in judgment. So he fired him. So he immediately created that rumor and several others and just fed it into the press. So wow. And the press loves stuff like that, even if they know it's not real. It sells papers. Yeah. So the press latched onto it. And it just it just spread like fire for for a matter of a few weeks, but the impact of the rumor continued because I I remember hearing that from people for years after that.
1: Yeah. So Um, here you have a queer person sort of caught in the act with a child in the room spreading a homophobic rumor. mm
2: -hmm. And I don't even think he put that much thought into it, but that's Mm -hmm. the problem with kids and beliefs. It doesn't take a lot to, to create one. Um, the, what, what takes the the most work is to create one responsibly the Flatwoods monster, even though it's, it wasn't based on an intentional lie Mm -hmm. because in the moment, those people were so afraid two seconds. They only saw whatever they thought they saw for two seconds. Gene Lemon, maybe not even one because when Gene saw it, he immediately screamed through his flashlight and ran away. Mm -hmm. And then the other people screamed and followed him out. And uh, I can't remember the woman's name, but the woman that was with him, she admits they only saw it for two seconds. Um, And that was part of the part of the the problem is in the in the thick of it. They were just scared already. They'd hyped themselves up and they saw something. And it's uh, I don't know if you've ever lived in an area where you can just run into an owl. Mm-hmm. It's alarm. Oh, yeah. 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 They're oh. always bigger than you imagined. Yes.
1: And especially at night, whatever you run into that has eyes. Right. Um, is particularly starling. You know, I'm looking here at uh, your season rundown and, you know, I, I think we're we're uh, we're really, um, you know, we're we're in the same game together because, you know, you're doing the Flatwoods Monster, um, you know, Betty and Barney Hill, the Jersey Devil, Mothman. Um, we'll get to stigmata in a minute because that's my favorite, uh, my very favorite. And, you know, you're doing, um, so many of the things that Shane and I have covered. We've done a Flatwoods monster, uh, episode, Mm -hmm. um, that it is this enduring myth that in this paranormal community just continues to exist. So, um, I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'm going to turn it over to Shane here. So let me ask you, and I want to get to Betty and Barney Hill. So we'll exclude Betty and Barney Hill for the moment. Uh, but um, it, are there any of the stories that you're covering, this huge uh, list of stories you're covering, are there any you actually believe or are you approaching them all as a myth um, that has been created? Are there any you believe?
2: Well, there's actually one in there that's very true uh, that it, it's it's not a question of whether or not it exists. It's nobody could ever figure out what it was, and then it's the phenomenon seemed to disappear. And that was la mancha negra. Mm-hmm. in In Mexico, for uh, less than twenty years or so, uh, on certain roads, this 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 stuff that looks like black bubble gum would bubble out of the road. And, and it, that kind of consistency, you'd think it'd be sticky. But right. as soon as you hit it, it was slick as oil. And during the time that people claim to have seen this, and we're, we're not talking just uh, uh, isolated people out in the middle of nowhere. We're talking city officials who could not figure out how to get rid of it, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that uh, it suddenly disappeared and nobody ever reported it again but uh it claimed the lives of around 1900 people
1: wow really
2: yeah. uh it was uh there was a, a while there where it was it was claiming so many lives um and that is a real thing that is that is not even something uh that you can argue is it real
1: yeah. it's scientific yeah uh, yeah it's yeah.
2: still that mystery though yeah
1: um
2: and that one is a, a lot of that is the idea that even with even with an existing thing, even with things that we can prove, they can still be a mystery. We can mm-hmm. we will still reach this point where we'll have to if if we're looking for an answer too hard, we're going to have to make something up.
1: Yeah, yeah, good point. We've actually covered that in some of our episodes uh, with Charles Fort, um, mm-hmm. who you may know from the Fortean Society, uh, you know, and always of his issues about you know, the willingness to not demand explanations all the time, just experience the wonder and the and the magnificence of of these sort of paranormal experiences. So you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Shane, um I, I don't want to talk here all night. So do you have some questions for Ralph?
0: I mean sure, but like this was fascinating. I, I just love l- listening to it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Good stuff. I mean yeah no it's that's how it usually goes though. We we like map this out and then And then everyone gets to talk and it's just like, this is great. Um, So what I um, got through, got from a lot of your work um, and kind of one of the things that Lori and I definitely wanted to touch on was, and what you've touched on briefly was the idea of, you know, kind of belief is everything and, um, you know, how that's uh, you, you can have a belief and it can take on a life of its own. And we've discussed this on the podcast um, as kind of. This idea that, you know, whether it's a a ghost or some kind of other um, phenomenon, uh, just people believing in stuff and thinking about it and um, and looking for it, even, it can create uh, situations where you experience what what these things are. Do you think your art is um, helping feed into that? Or do you think it's outside of it and you're just doing it kind of as an observer?
2: Um, I don't think it's up to me. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm the creator of that art. I have a preconceived notion when I paint it, but when I put it out there, uh, you see what you see. Uh, one of my favorite examples of that was a friend of mine. It was during one of the last, um, Independence Day festivals that was at 400 West Rich. Oh yeah. And, uh, I'm talking to a friend of mine, Colleen, and she's talking about this painting I did. And I said, which one? She's like, well, I don't know what it is. and uh, But it's down the hall. So we go down the hall and there's this tiny Hispanic family. Um, uh, This woman was like under my chin uh, and uh, her kids were about my height, but she was a little bitty thing. And I don't speak a lot of Spanish, but I knew enough to know that she said whoever painted this painting was crazy. (laughs) <laughs> it, was a, it was a painting of uh, the Lady of Guadalupe, oh. and which honestly would have been a, uh, a Catholic masterpiece, except that I, there was a UFO in it. The reason oh, there was excellent. a UFO in the image is in areas where people are more likely to see uh, Marian visions. They're also more likely to see UFOs. Wow. And this was originally done for uh, a Mexican ufologist uh, that I used to illustrate some of his uh, uh, work for Paranoia Magazine. And uh, so Colleen, who clearly doesn't know any Spanish, says really loud, and if you have any questions, this is the guy who painted it. <laughs> this and is that the crazy guy who painted it. Right. <laughs> and that she, that the mom looks at me, shakes her head and walks off. But her son's talked about how they were actually from Mexico and that Mexican artists would paint the Lady of Guadalupe as white. Wow. But that is not, that is not a white story. Mm -hmm. That is, that is, that is Mexican through and through. Mexican Catholicism is some of the most beautiful, uh, and poetic stuff. And that whole story of, uh, of Juan finding this, this this teenage girl on the top of the mountain and uh, her instructions to him and how she proved that she was Mary and how he was able to take that proof uh, to uh, the monastery where he worked and, uh, and prove it to them. And the idea that the tilma, uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but the last time that Juan goes up, his boss at the monastery was basically like, well, I only have your word for this. How can you prove to me that this is something we're supposed to be doing and that she was really married? And he said, I don't know. Let me go see. He goes back up the mountain. And when he gets there, uh, she's surrounded by a circle of roses. And she uh, he so he picks the roses and he, he's he's got a tilma on and he's using the tilma as like a bag so he can hold all the roses and he takes it back to his boss. And those roses only grow where his boss is from they don't grow in that area so as as soon as 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 soon as a member of the church said well this is this is clearly her this is this is real you've had an actual marian vision the image of mary appeared on his tilma and if you go to mexico city that tilma is on display
1: no Uh, kidding
2: not at all now
1: there's a trap right there (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) <laughs> it's also been proven that it's painted, and it's been painted over and over and over to keep the image on there. You know, here you have something that kind of like the Flatwoods Monster has been debunked a number of times, but that hasn't changed anybody's beliefs.
1: And you know, this uh, <clears throat> just to follow up a bit on this, I was really excited to find that you in your first season in episode five, you're going to co- you're going to cover Santa Muerte. And I don't think that's something that's been um, um, covered much. And as serendipity would happen, uh, just two nights ago, I was watching an Anthony Bourdain uh, episode of Parts right. Unknown, and he was in Mexico City. And Santo Muerte focused greatly in that show, right. especially for the narco—you know, the victims of the narco gangs—and um, has become really the saint of not only death but the saint of the hopeless. And well, uh,
2: Santa Muerte is also the patron saint of uh, transmitted women. Really? Uh-huh.
1: Is that because, like, <clears throat> death and rebirth or something? Honestly, I'm
2: not sure. Um, I've I've tried to look into it, but it's one of those things where I get to research something when I'm working on the painting. When uh-huh. I work on something else, my research has to shift, so I didn't get very far with it. But I actually hang
1: on one second while we're right there. Explain, which I love this. Explain. So you guys haven't seen them yet, but you will because we'll be posting them. So Ralph makes these amazing pictures. We've seen the Flatwoods monster. We've seen the Barney and Betty Hill, um, you know, Bigfoot. So explain how in this multimedia presentation, you're doing paintings originally of these subjects, and then you're actually, it will be a video presentation that tells the story, correct? Fill us in a little bit about that.
2: Uh, Basically, and for years I've done this. I really really enjoy finding out uh, about a belief that fascinates me in some way. And I will paint that belief. Um, I appreciate... Uh, Christian iconography, Mm -hmm. Um, the idea that uh, Byzantine art, uh, Renaissance art, and for a short time, symbolist art. Uh, Symbolism was a a bigger literary movement than it was an art movement, Mm -hmm. but it took that idea that everything in the painting means something, and it stands for something, and that if you know what it means, then you know everything you need to know about what the painting is about. So uh, I went really hardcore with that. With some of my older stuff, like my Lady of Guadalupe painting, mm-hmm. um, it's it's just full of stuff. Um, I've kind of simplified it later on so that I can I can focus on an aspect of something instead of trying to uh, tell you everything there is to know in one image. Right. Um, that if it's an interesting enough subject, it'll just warrant another image. Yes. Um, so, because
1: you're, you're, you're just the images that you have painted have so many layers. I mean, wait until you guys see these paintings They you, you just there's just so much there in your paintings to begin with, uh, let alone your sort of video exposes of uh, this idea. We're, we're very excited about this.
2: Um, a lot. Also, this is it's a tall order for me to expect you or Shane or anyone else to look at one of my paintings and even understand what I was doing. Uh, Because you need at least a little bit of information to start. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I've always been really big uh, with medieval studies majors because they know a little bit about all of this stuff and can generally spot this stuff. But the, the regular Joe is not necessarily going to know the origin of the Lady of Guadalupe. They're not necessarily gonna know who Betty and Barney uh, Hill are. It was, it was not only a chance for me to come up with a project where I could explain a little further as to what these things were, but I could also also discuss my, my interest in the concept of belief and how that works, and as well as talking to friends of mine because uh, friends of mine, and uh, I have friends with varying levels of belief or disbelief in this stuff. Um, I actually know someone who uh, who claims to have been abducted, and wow. he, I'm going to be talking to him for the Benny, the Betty and Barney Hill episode Great. because the idea is, um, and, and this is a lot of what that episode is about, is uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. I have experienced things that. Uh, that I would not expect anyone else to to understand or begin to understand what it's like. Uh, for instance, I watched a 17 year old get shot, and I watched him die. Uh, I I saw when the paramedics got there what the bullet did to him. It was it was a really impactful moment for me, yeah. um, and I. To this day, I can't even really explain to you what that impact was and how many different things it made me feel in that moment to to see especially such a young life snuffed out like that. Um, I don't expect anyone who hasn't been there to understand that because they can't. So I've experienced things that uh, we know exist, we know happen. Uh, But until you're there, you just don't know. So who am I to say that because my experiences haven't involved uh, being abducted by an alien or or seeing Bigfoot or anything like that? The only thing, uh, granted, a lack of proof in a lot of these uh, situations keeps me from, from believing it, but it's also, and it's mostly because this is how humans work. This is how the human primate works. I don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. am not going to believe something that was not my experience
0: yeah, yeah um, and I
1: and I would I would suggest at this moment that very often <laughs> words can so often you know not express an experience like seeing a young man die from a oh, yeah. bullet uh, but you know what the artist can somehow
2: absolutely visually is I can do visually yeah, it's yeah. a way that I can communicate uh, uh, far more uh in depth than 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 even speaking and i'm 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 a fairly eloquent speaker um
1: but the experience is beyond words for all of us
2: exactly e- even um, if we
1: didn't experience the experience itself is is you know what right what, you well, know.
2: and the, the the point of it not being my experience too is now that I'm older i am I'm am in a wonderful position where I don't feel I need to be right all the time.
1: Isn't that
2: That a great place to be? I'm with you,
1: my friend. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. One of the worst
2: things about the human primate is all of us have to be right.
1: Yeah.
2: It's just, it's just what the animal we are is. It's how we operate. That's Um, why all
1: you listeners, you can look forward to your fifties because that's when it starts to happen.
2: Yeah. You got to realize that it doesn't matter. You You have have to let it go.
1: I'm with you, my uh, friend. But,
2: but life you. gets so much better when you do. It, it really does. does. I agree. But I the totally idea agree. that uh, this friend of mine, Brent, who says he's been abducted by aliens, he can tell you the story. He can give you a description of the ship, of the creatures, of what happened to him, what he saw when he was there. Now, this is a very reasonable man. Uh, I've known him for many, many years. I worked with him at a record store for a long time. He is one of the most brilliant piano players I ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm uh, he is is tremendously talented. I don't have a reason not to believe him. Yeah. It's not like a crazy friend of mine who just says stuff. And when you, when he, when he or she does, then I, I, you know, I take it with a grain of salt. This is somebody that I have absolutely no reason not to believe him. So is, is my disbelief or the disbelief that I've had in in people experiencing this, is this just a reflection of my lack of experience? Yeah. Because really, other than that, I have
1: no reason not to believe it. Yeah. yeah, and you know, this really harkens back to the Betty and Barney Hill story. And one of the things I find really compelling about the the, the Hill story is that you know it was an interracial couple in the mm-hmm. '60s. There's there's many layers to this. And as a matter of fact, when they if you if you listen to the tapes of the recordings from the hypnotists that they did, you know, Barney's taken a, a, aboard the ship. He closes his eyes and never opens his eyes. You know, yeah. as a black man, he, he's experiencing this, you know, this is not reminiscent of kidnapping and lynching and, you know, all of those sort of things. And then you have Betty who goes in with her eyes wide open and ends up communicating with, you know, these aliens. And you have this really fascinating experience, but I, uh, that you hear about, but yeah. I will tell you, when you listen to those hip, those it's tapes of Betty and Barney, especially Barney. It's hard not to believe that this man is being authentic. I think oh, yeah. the Betty and Barney Hill story is, if if there is going to be an argument for belief in this, that's a pretty um, I good place that, to start. That's a pretty good place to start. That's right. And, that's right.
2: And I'm not saying that I'm not open to believing that it's not aliens, but uh, you've heard those tapes. You've done the research. Yeah. They experienced something, something. Yeah. Yeah. Something happened. So if it wasn't aliens and I'm okay with believing that it wasn't, but something happened. Yeah. So what happened to them? If that wasn't it, what was so impactful that it caused so much PTSD for these people?
1: And and it did. I mean, it really, especially for Barney and, and, you know, both of them, I mean, it really is. And, you know, they wanted to keep a secret. They didn't want to go public. They, they mm-hmm. didn't want to have anything to do this. I think it is. Um, it is. Uh, and I love that you're going to cover this because I think the Hill story is a great intersection of belief and non-belief. Um, and, you know, how we get to that place with such, you know, compelling, although subjective, very compelling evidence. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, um, the my second episode, the Jomon people. Um, is it's uh, an ancient aliens thing? Uh, basically, there was a prehistoric race of Japanese people that we refer to as the Jomon people, and Jomon is a word that means uh, rope or braid-like. And the reason that uh, that's what they were called is because we have we have no artifacts from them, we have uh, no uh, no bits of buildings, we have no bones, we have no burial sites or. Religious things. The only thing we have that, that lets us know these people existed was uh, their pottery. And they do these beautiful vases with this rope like pattern on it, which is where they got the name. But they also do these weird little robot looking things called dogu. <laughs> and for a lot of people, the, the dogu are proof of ancient aliens because it, it looks robotic or, or like a spacesuit. But the thing is, Um, with with ancient alien theory about anything, really, you can't prove that you also can't disprove it. How can you have a definitive belief in it? And, um, and that's, and that gets a little into that. It's like, okay, so this may not have been aliens because we certainly can't prove it, but we weren't there. We don't know what it was. We don't really have a good reason why the only thing left behind was the pottery. And we can't find any any other evidence of, that these people existed.
1: Um, and it's right at that intersection again of of belief and disbelief. I mean, right at the kind of Venn diagram of all that. Uh, Shane, um, more questions?
0: I, I don't I don't even know if it's a question. Maybe I'll I'll get to one. Um, but just like commentary. Um, so one of the things that that Lori and I often uh, share is this idea that um, you can believe in these things, but you don't have to like actually believe in it. And you like kind of the best way to, I guess, explain that is how you, how you were talking about um, you can believe someone without having experienced it and what we've done with a lot of our adventures, because we've seen, you know, weird things, strange things. We we've had these stories they've been shared with us um, is that the, you, you can tell someone all of these fantastical tales and they can look at you like, wow, that's amazing um and you and you follow that up with but you should come with come with us sometime or you know sharing of these tales and these beliefs is an opportunity to um kind of get stories from other people and i think maybe that's i guess part of like what you're getting to experience with this art and this series
2: oh yeah this is all folklore right whether whether it's it's it could be true or not uh At present, what it is most definitely is folklore. And you think about uh, how much folklore is out there. You think, uh, think about, uh, this is one of my favorite examples, actually. Uh, I think you probably know by now that George Washington never chopped down a cherry tree. Correct, And that was invented, actually, that story was invented, if I'm not mistaken, closer to the time of Lincoln. Than it was uh, Washington. It but was in his else. second.
1: It was in his second biography that was done.
2: Yeah, uh, exactly, um, and it was yeah. It after was this... um,
1: that's right, it was totally fabricated long after he had died.
2: Absolutely. What you don't actually hear often about Washington is that when his soldiers were complaining because they were bleeding through what was left of their shoes walking through the snow while the officers were in warm tents, eating all this food, that Washington lined the people up that complained and shot them. He also wanted to be called emperor. You don't hear that because we are a very nationalistic society. Yeah. And that yeah. doesn't fit the narrative. So you don't and, hear that. And about just so
1: them. you know, we should have another podcast about that because I would disagree with those two statements you just made with this story. Which ones? Uh, the lining them up and shooting them and being called emperor. Um, so we, I am uh, a, a big founding fathers, uh, historical mm. uh, researcher, uh, amateur, um, of course.
2: I will uh, also say that the, uh, the, uh, The professor that wrote the study on that, once again, I study something for this long. Yeah. And then I move on. I have yeah. no idea who he is. So yeah. unfortunately, even saying that, uh, I know that I'm uh, I risk not being able to to point to you where I got this information from at this point because this would have been years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, and it's again, it's another thing about what I do. Unfortunately, well, it's a
1: downfall of what we all do because you know you have such a towering figure like Washington, um, and there's well, so and many how much stories. information
2: can you absorb? That, there that's is so much. Right.
1: So much esoteric
2: information about everything. And I want to know all of it, but I don't remember what I ate yesterday. I'm never going to remember all of this stuff. (laughs) No, I'm not going to be able to get to researching all of it. Are you Uh, kidding?
1: My text to Shane every day is like, remember that guy that I talked about two weeks ago that it was something about a a (laughs) bat-like plane? Do you you remember what I said? I mean, that's (laughs) like my daily interactions with, with especially Jay, uh,
2: now with the internet and with 24-hour uh, news cycles and you are being just bombarded by so much information most of it irrelevant yeah. but uh but you're that still taking it beliefs.
1: up yeah. Oh, so, yeah so whether it's true or not creates our beliefs you're you're in mm-hmm. this uh you know information overload on the internet um it creates very much as creating our beliefs and that's a whole other discussion Right. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, that that whole sort of, uh, you know, digital information. So let me get to because I want to make sure we get to this before we end. Um, One of the things I read in your Columbus Alive interview really moved me and impressed me. So let's talk about what no one ever talks about. Not really depression in the artist. And, you know, what you experienced and the idea that the series helped you climb out of this hole. And, you know, I was really moved by the fact that you mentioned you started taking antidepressants. Um, And for those of our listeners out there maybe experiencing, you know, depression, especially during COVID, I think it's so amazing when people talk about this, especially such a successful artist as you and what you're doing. You know, you're the last person at this moment we would have thought. Experience this kind of debilitating depression. Talk for a moment about that, and you know what that's contributed to you—you you being the, you know, really fascinating artist you are. Um,
2: as I mentioned, you hit fifty, and hopefully, you're in a place where you can just let it go. Uh, it it has been one of the the greatest things for me. Uh, it, it's, and I don't know why fifty. I don't know why the number fifty was important. But oh, I know it, was,
1: why.
2: <laughs> it was almost like uh you, it, it was almost like the double A.R.P. card you get in the mail where it's like, congratulations, you that's can right. now let go of all the bullshit. Boy, that's true. Um, but uh I also I just don't I'm in a I'm in a really happy relationship for the first time in my life. Good for you. Uh My wife is the awesomest person I've ever met. Uh, I I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy. I am I don't have to to force that happiness i don't have to because for years um uh, what i was getting happiness from was success it was uh how wow. can i be successful how can i and it was also uh, i guess uh, it was my way of trying to prove to people that that uh that i wasn't a loss uh especially uh for my ex-wife that was a that was a big thing between us is I could not seem to prove to her that my, my hopes and dreams in life weren't stupid. And unfortunately, yeah. I've, I've always suffered from a deep depression, uh, some of it biological, some of it from uh, childhood trauma. Um, it's uh, and, and most of the time when I talked about it, especially when I was younger, um, it just turned people off. Yep. And I found that when I was honest about it, uh, that I had fewer people to be honest about it too. And it's this, it's this precarious uh, tightrope where uh, you need to be able to express this to people as, as a, a form of rehabilitation. You need to be able to be honest by it. But
1: recovery, that's part of recovery. Right. Absolutely. Just
2: because you need to talk about it, doesn't mean somebody is necessarily in the right place. They have their own issues. They have their own set number of spoons, and they can't necessarily spend too many on you. Yeah. So it's, you know, you're in this place where uh, there there may not be a bad guy here. It's just trying to figure out how to make it work despite what you're working with.
1: And well, well, maybe one of the cryptids you should investigate in your uh, exploration of the unexplained is depression itself. Yeah. <laughs> that is a beast. Yeah. Let me and see that painting. Is, let me see right. that painting. Absolutely.
2: Um, and I just, I don't want to, I don't want to be shackled by that anymore. Yeah. You reach a point where, especially I think when you get older, where you have less patience with, with, with things that you've, that you can't seem to get over. Mm-hmm. So it's really get over it or let it eat you alive. Mm-hmm. And with depression, That's a choice. yeah. Yeah. And, and with depression, especially if it's, if, if it's bad enough, unfortunately, that choice is, are you going to continue? Uh, are you going to end it? Or are you going to find a way to end the depression? Because you can't keep living. It's not life. It's not mm-hmm. living. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing that. It, it's why people kill themselves. You reach that point where the, the depression is is so, uh, it, it, it's, so uh, it's everything. It becomes everything. It taints everything. Even the good things in your life, it ruins. And, and after a while, once you have burned away everything that was important to you, whether on purpose or, or accidentally, uh, you don't have anything left. So yeah. what is there to live for? And it
1: is and you know uh, just to sort of compliment you know what you're doing um i've always found one of the greatest ways out of depression is um often belief in the magical belief in the enchanted just finding a way to believe in the magic of the universe again and whether these stories you're telling are true or not there is a magical enchanting and sometimes horrifying part about it but it takes us out of ourselves. Um, it, it gives us a story to look at the wonder around us, mm-hmm. the wonder of the cryptids or the wonder of, of, of saints or, and, and, you know, thinking about those things. And that very journey into, you know, taking yourself out of yourself and thinking about those things, I've always found is often sort of a remedy for that malaise. Absolutely. Very much so. Uh, anything you're interested in
2: uh is is essentially a uh uh an antidepressant yeah there Any, you go anything that brings you joy and you have to uh you have to be open to medication if it's bad enough and i'm saying this as a person who's always been very against it and when i took medication uh when i was younger it messed me up it was not a good experience for me. And back in the mid 90s, people gave you antidepressants so you wouldn't bother other people. It wasn't about you.
1: We well, weren't... it's, it's, and it's why they gave, you know, really creative, energetic kids Ritalin. I Absolutely. Mean, it, it you know, that was, was what we grew up. up in. It sure was. Ritalin, I have railed against that. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I had a stepson uh, 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 about 20 years ago and they, he, he was into a lot and he was he was making trouble, but he was a good kid and they wanted to medicate him. And it was just like, no, we've got to find another way. And that's a very different situation, I think, where, where, where an adult can make their own decision and have consent and agree to that than mm-hmm. medicating children. Um, I, I think that's a wholly different subject.
2: Well, that shouldn't be your your that shouldn't be plan A. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know? yeah. uh, we we know, especially now, uh, and it's gotten better since the '90s. We we know that a lot of it is we're communicating with someone wrong. Um, we uh, and this is this when I was when I lived in Austin. Uh, I want to say I was 23 when I first moved there. Austin has the the largest number, and I lived in New Orleans too. And Austin still has the largest number of, uh, street people with developmental disabilities or, or mental disorders or behavioral disorders. Uh, they actually, they flock there at certain times of the year. And one time I'm sitting on the corner and, uh, literally just sitting on, on, a, on the corner of a sidewalk, watching the cars go by and I'm smoking a clove cause I was in my early twenties. Um, <laughs> and it was like, it was like a dessert, you know, I didn't. Yeah, like cigarettes, yeah, yeah. But this was like <laughs> smoking baklava, you know, um, and this guy sits down and try and asks for a cigarette. And I tried to explain to him it wasn't a cigarette cigarette, but I couldn't seem to get that across. So I just gave it to him. I figured if he wanted it, you know, he'd smoke. it. If he didn't, he didn't. That was the only thing I understood he said. After that, the whole conversation sounded like, well, you got to speed that fast. And I was like, well, you speed that fast. And, and the whole thing kind of went like that. I don't know if you've ever played uh, Plants versus Zombies, but he was Crazy Dave. You uh, <laughs> couldn't understand anything that he said. But I noticed that whenever, if he looked grave and I looked grave, or if he laughed and I laughed, or if he just smiled and I smiled, or if he looked concerned, if I looked concerned, he felt like I understood him. And that oh. meant the world to him. When he, when he finished that cigarette, he slapped the piss out of me <laughs> <laughs> and laughed and laughed and said, that weren't no cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> and laughed and laughed and, 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 and walked off, but he was so happy. Um, I had a, a, a woman run in and just start talking to me. And it was, she, I, I, I believe she was schizophrenic, just just from the conversation that we were having. Uh, I'm I'm no psychotherapist, but uh, just from what I picked up. And at one point she said, can I borrow this? Grabbed it my Walkman and says, bye, and runs away. And I'm shocked. I'm, I'm just kind of looking around and I'm like, "Why?" Well, I guess I don't have a Walkman anymore. Two hours later, she brought it back and she thanked me. We talked a little longer. She Took my drawn tablet and she wrote on it, anybody can be the devil, gave it to me and left. Wow. Wow. She felt so much better. I don't even know what I did for her other than just listen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are therapy isn't all medication. Medication mm-hmm. is, it's, it's like vitamins. Mm-hmm. Vitamins are gonna help, but if you're if if you're eating sausage biscuits, for every meal for the past seven years, how much are vitamins going to do? Yeah. So you have to find something other than the medication. You have to, you have to find a way to communicate to people. Uh, you have to find ways to better understand others. Uh, to know that you know, anytime you feel persecuted or you feel like somebody's upset with you about something, that that's not the case. That you, that you, it's important for you to know where they're really coming from, so that you don't take this personally, so that this doesn't feed that depression. It, it's really complicated. It, it's and like we a, need it,
1: and we need it more now than ever oh, yes. in this country. You that, have to that look. You
2: can't existing. look at everything like this bottomless pit. Yeah. Uh, you've if if you're willing to to make the attempt to improve your situation, you have to find the joy in things, and you have to understand that that everybody is just like you. Everyone in the world is crazy. Yeah. And suffering. Everybody. Crazy it's just, and
1: suffering, yeah. Yes, yeah.
2: it's yeah. just everybody's crazy is different, just like everything else around, uh, about people. Yeah. We're fantastic meat computers that as we develop, we come up with our own code. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's It's fascinating, but the problem with that is it makes it harder for one system to communicate with another system, if those codes are different. Yeah. So you, you have to make, you have to learn how to talk to people. You have to learn how to listen to people.
1: Totally, um, totally
2: agree. You, totally you,
1: agree. You,
2: you know, and you also can't find joy in grinding anyone else down.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that is such a temporary joy. And all you're doing is making the world around you worse. Yeah. It, it, it feeds back. So, uh, so people that uh, that like to turn their fears about people into some weird badge of pride, uh, you know what homophobes and racists and sexists are? They're cowards. Mm-hmm. They are yeah. literally acting out of fear, yeah. and anything that comes from fear can never bring you joy, and it can never, uh, it, it can never be a positive thing. Well, that so, is
1: great words to, to, to summarize this entire, um, uh, talk Shane, any last thoughts?
0: No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good.
1: Well, I do want to <laughs> tell you, um, I do want to tell you, I, right. don't, I don't
0: know how to end it after that. That was perfect. That's I know. Right?
1: <laughs> um, I do want to tell you, you know, we did a, you might listen to it. We did a great episode on stigmata. So, uh. When oh, I make, haven't gotten that one yet. I've been I've been mowing through them. <laughs> okay, so when you get to Stigmata, just so you know, Lori Gum is going to purchase that painting. Sign unseen. Sign <laughs> unseen. I want. am calling dibs right now. Um, again, well, like you one.
2: said, you're we're about the same age. You Absol- lived through the 70s. Stigmata was such oh, a my. weird concept. For a oh, child, especially. Oh,
1: my God. And, you know, I collect like stigmata stuff and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, at the real intersection of religion and paranormal. I mean, my mm-hmm. God, there's there's not a, a better subject. So um, thank you, Ralph. Uh, fascinating uh, conversation. So tell us where. So say again, this is uh, Painting the Unexplained. It is a multimedia video um, uh, presentation of these particular stories that you have done a painting of for Mm -hmm. each of these series. So where and when can listeners find this?
2: Uh, Well, uh, we have a YouTube channel. Um, I will also be posting these on Facebook. Uh, I don't have it up yet, but we will have an Instagram account uh, as soon as I can, I can get to that and a Patreon page. Basically, the uh, the Flatwoods Monster episode is going to debut on Patreon and YouTube at the same time, okay. but then Patreon will be a month ahead.
1: Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so, is there a Facebook link we can share now that will? I can go give live. The
2: link. Facebook hates me. Uh, anytime
1: they hate us us all, I, I other people
2: will make a page and it's just the name of the page. If I make a page, it's the name of the page and then 40 numbers. And I don't (laughs) know why it does that, but it makes it hard to tell people, you know, just look this up. Yeah. Uh, but I can absolutely send you links and stuff.
1: Uh, but uh, especially the the YouTube and then people who aren't even on Facebook can get to the YouTube. Absolutely. uh, And we can share that, uh, and it's launching April 1st, correct?
2: April 1st. I thought that was a good time it's to, uh, to launch yes. it. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, Ralph, you are a pleasure. You are a Columbus Thank treasure. You. We've known each other for years. Um, it, it's our honor and, and privilege to get to talk with you. We wish you so much success and we will be sharing uh, these uh, links so that we really want our listeners to tune into this. Like I said, we saw a, a secret trailer today and it was very exciting and congratulations i think this is going to be some of the most incredible work of your life thank you
0: you know thanks for chatting with us i um i think the entire concept is is powerful and moving and um just even your your story combined with it is um add some power to it i think it's just a, a great series thank you i appreciate it
1: thanks ralph As I look back into these iconic paranormal events and the folklore myth and the stories retold and retold again that created them, I find myself always saying, I want to believe. Ralph Walters is asking us to not only take a look at these tales of the unexplained, but also asking us to look deeply into our own belief systems that help them to endure.
0: Henry David Thoreau would say, It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see.
1: Hey, thanks so much for joining us. And thanks so very much to Ralph Walters for sharing not only his work, but his life experience and sometimes painful journey as an artist. We will be sure and post links to Ralph's multimedia project, Painting the Unexplained, on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, as it launches on April 1st. You don't want to miss this.
0: This show was created and produced by me, Shane McClelland, and Lori Gum. Until next time, friends, be weird, stay curious.
1: These are the Q files.